Right now on Fast, oil surge. OPEC Plus cutting output by over a million barrels a day. WTI and Brent spiking. Energy stocks rallying. But the market greeted this news with a yawn. We'll break down this mostly muted reaction. Plus, tapping the brakes on Tesla despite the EV maker posting record EV deliveries. The stock dropping on margin fears. Do investors need to prep for more selling ahead? And later, Mickey D's hitting new highs ahead of corporate layoffs. Macy's rising after a big street upgrade and some healthy returns in the healthcare sector. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, Guy Adami, and Jeff Mills. And we start off with the sharp spike in oil prices. WTI crude trading above the $81 mark at its highs today, its best level since late January. Benchmark Brent topping out above $85, bucks, a move coming after a surprise announcement from OPEC Plus on Sunday that the oil cartel could cut output, would cut output by more than a million barrels a day starting next month. Energy stocks rallying on the news. The XLE ETF rising more than four and a half percent. Its biggest gain since October. Shares of Marathon, Conoco and APA leading the way. But what does all this mean for inflation? The Fed doesn't seem to be worrying about the bar market today. The Dow rising more than 325 points or about a percent. The S&P posting its highest close since February 15th. Both indices for up for four straight days. The Nasdaq meantime finished the day in the red but ended well off the lows of the session. So why were markets able to seemingly shrug off this inflationary news? Tim, what do you think? Well, I, I think when OPEC makes a move like this, and I think the, the headlines appear very political, I'm psyched we've got Paul Sankey on because he really understands the politics behind oil in addition to the fundamentals. But um, when I see the dollar give ground and I see an ISM that was one of the lowest prints we've had in anybody's lifetime at any time. And so, you know, forget two bad months during COVID, which were extreme. We're back to 2009 levels. Um, it tells me that people aren't that worried about inflation. And in fact, if I look at the bond market and I look at the 10-year and the two-year, um, we're, we're near kind of those lows. I mean, we're not that far off of even some of those extreme lows. And meanwhile, equities, I don't know if I'm whistling past the graveyard, and, and I, but I, you know, 8% move off of those March 13 lows to the intraday high today. So, so um, it tells you that people are not worried about a more aggressive Fed. And if anything, again, I think the dollar represents central bank differentials. People right now are pricing in much less Fed than they might even be pricing in ECB. So I, I don't think uh, there's a lot to this oil move. But I don't think this is something that signals more inflation ahead. The politics of it, meaning they want to snub the noses, their noses at the West. They want to. I mean, like, what is this? Because if it's not going to impact inflation, then what is the what is a political sort of fallout here if it's not going to impact what the Fed? Well, the, the, the politics of this is feeling as consumers. The politics of the are that Saudi and, and, and Russia are a million of the of the million six. And, and you could make an argument, what's going on there? And in fact, if you think that, you know, Russia is trying to do everything they can to get um, product to the market and they're doing different ways to do it, they're not going to do it through the headline. They're going to do it through product sure. and product has gotten very expensive. Yeah. And it's more money for them. Yes. R- right. Yes. There's that the, too. The war in Ukraine. Of yeah. yeah. Um, and for Saudi Arabia as well. Mm-hmm. More welcome back, by the way. Yes. I forgot to. Sorry. I know. It's good to be. Please. Can you yes. welcome her back? Um, <laughs> very great. Very great to have you. I, I agree with Tim. I thought that data was really more important. It sort of trumped this oil data. I think that it's sort of it's pretty deflationary um, on its own. But if you think about that's March data, it doesn't even really capture what could be happening now right. as a result of the bank situation, Tighter right? Credit, et cetera. Tighter credit, all of that. And so it sort of makes you think, all right, well, this inflation thing is really starting to turn over. Therefore, the Fed will be done sooner or perhaps even turn around. Yeah. So happy days are here again, Guy. Everything's coming up roses. Hi, Hi Mel. Hi, Guy. Missed you. That's true. 
Uh, yeah, everything's coming. Absolutely. <laughs> everything's coming up roses. I mean, the worst ISM in a generation. What could go possibly go wrong? And Tim is right to flag that. And it was a tragedy of a number. But it speaks to that lag effect that we've talked in. It's starting to kick in now in terms of Fed rate hikes and all that liquidity finally making its way through the system. And yeah, maybe the inflation battle is over in terms of hikes. But it doesn't mean the effects of what the Federal Reserve has done isn't going to continue to be felt. And, you know, that might be great on the surface because the Fed's out of the picture, but things are slowing down precipitously. So earnings, by definition, should slow down. I think the market is hoping for a Fed to backtrack potentially cut in the back half of this year, which, by the way, is coming up faster than any of us realize. But on the flip side, the inflationary inputs, and we're going to talk about oil with Paul Sankey, I mean, gasoline prices are slowly up back on the rise and their inflation in all the wrong places, to quote that song by, what was that cat's name, Garth Brooks or somebody like that, who's a fan of the show, by the way. I'm sure he's watching right now, in fact. Hello, Garth. Um, welcome. Uh, but with all this said, Jeff, I mean, it sounds like from what all of you are saying in terms of the, the picture of the economy and the slowdown that is, you know, in the midst of happening is still yet to come in terms of the full effect, that we could actually see oil prices stay the same, maybe even come off a little bit despite this cut? Yeah, I think at the very least, oil prices are probably stable here. We were talking about energy a little bit on Friday, and I alluded to that. And now I think that even underscores that point. So say you get stable oil prices from here. Uh, You know, we've already seen EPS revise lower for a lot of the energy names. Most of that was due to lower oil prices. I think a lot of the forecasts you're seeing, I mean, not that Goldman Sachs is the end-all be-all, but they're looking at potentially $95 a barrel here. So let's say we end up right around where we are today. Um, energy is the cheapest, cheapest sector on an absolute, on a relative basis. I mean, I think that's a pretty good setup here for a sector that's seen really flat valuations for the year when the rest of the market has moved precipitously higher on a P.E. basis. So I would not be abandoning the sector, even if we were to assume that the economic picture isn't that great. So maybe oil prices stay where they are. There's kind of a net effect here. But if you look at a lot of names, I talked about EOG on Friday holding above that 120 level. That's important. We're right there now. ExxonMobil, Schlumberger testing those 200-day moving averages, holding nicely. I just think this provides more momentum. I do think we're going to see a rotation back to some of last year's losers, uh, or excuse me, some of last year's winners that have been losers for the first part of this year. So I think that's the setup here as we go into the second quarter. Yeah, I mean, if the cut provides some sort of a backstop or floor to oil prices, that's certainly a good thing, one would hope, if you're an investor in oil, as you are, Tim, oil stocks, that is, that's a good thing. It, it, it is a good thing. It's, it's something that if you don't believe that the energy companies can, can resist temptation uh, in terms of their ability to drill and drill more, I mean, this, this signals that you longer duration oil products are the ones that actually are going to do best here. If you put a floor of some kind under oil, and I don't know where that is, especially as I signaled that maybe this could also be fear of demand, and, and that's why they move, not the politics. But um, I, I, I totally agree with Jeff. Uh, I like energy here. Um, I think energy stocks are always cheap, they, you know, so you got to be careful about that. Valuation doesn't really mean a whole lot. In fact, if anything, sometimes uh, as they go up in weighting in an index, they kind of pull down the index with them. But um, I do think that this is about those companies that have some kind of reasonable long-term 
you know, project management, um, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, uh, even Exxon. Those are the places I think benefit today. Well, what we had before, you know, in, in a time when, when money was cheap and you can basically fund exploration or at least making old wells more efficient or finding ways to tap old wells, um, that doesn't exist anymore in terms of that cheap money. So that, so right. that also but provides some sort of a backstop. Nor does that willingness to drill as much, yes, right? Exactly. One thing Tim Marius talks about is how disciplined they are now. It's sort of not your father's oil companies anymore, and, and they've been the beneficiaries of that. Sometimes the stocks haven't, but the balance sheets certainly have. The debt has. And... I mean, the valuation, they give a lot of money back to the shareholders as well. Yeah, yeah. Gas prices tick up, though, and all those oil companies that are so disciplined now, disciplined, i.e. not drilling more and helping the U.S. consumer guy, <laughs> puts them again into the crosshairs of the Biden administration. Um, they're going to spend yeah. money on buybacks and dividends for investors. Yeah, How yeah, horrible. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, Chevron, when they announced that $75 billion stock back, there was also the peak in the stock back in November, I think. The stock sold off from then, climbing back now. But, yeah, how horrible. I get it. But, listen, in terms of the administration, I hope they took that window of opportunity when crude was trading around that 65, that Steve Grosso level, to at least try to get something back. But apparently... They're unable to, I think, vis-a-vis the whole debt, uh, the debt limit thing that they can't get around. So they don't have any money to buy it back. And crude is going to trade in their face, unfortunately. Um, OPEC do what they, did what they did. They're not our friends. I think we all agree. But I think these stocks at $75 crude were too cheap. And the higher crude goes, I think, almost by definition, the cheaper they get. So Marathon Petroleum, MPC, by the way, a name that Paul Sankey gave us couple of Octobers ago, and it was a $60 stock. That made an all-time high today. OIH pushed up towards 300 Oxy, um, which is one of the O's in Mojo, as you know, the O, which O it me is doesn't necessarily matter. But, you know, that's 65 and seemingly breaking out, and clearly Warren Buffett's onto something. So I still think you stay with the energy space here, Melms. I always thought it was the first one. And now you're telling me it doesn't matter? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, after all this time? Come on, guy. It's not the O and Dawn, either. <laughs> why, why did the Nasdaq go down then, Jeff? I mean, if, if all of this is to say that the Fed is closer to done, and that's what everything points to, then, then why was that the index that was lower today, do you think? Yeah, that was a bit of a head scratcher to me, honestly, because I think ultimately that is going to be the place where investors look to hide out, at least to some degree. I mean, I think you have to delineate, and we've talked about this before, between some of those companies that are profitable and have free cash flow and that don't. But I do think ultimately that growth stocks in general are going to trade better than a lot of people anticipate, because if we are closer to the end of that rate hiking cycle, uh, if the economy is actually slowing down, earnings growth is going to continue to slow. Guy mentioned that. I mean, look at expectations out in 2024. I think it's for 240 some dollars a share. That's assuming 10, 12 percent growth next year. I just don't think that that's the reality given where we are from a macroeconomic standpoint. So sure, we had a little bit of an off day today. Growth has had a run. The Nasdaq has had a run, so it pulls back a little bit. But uh, I think people are going to be surprised to see some of those names hold up a lot better as we move through the next few quarters. Karen? Yeah, I just think, I mean, that run up from March 10th to where it closed on Friday, it was up about 11 percent, which is an enormous move. So I think, I mean, this is just not a big give back, actually. Um, I, I shorted some cues at the end of the day Friday, just thinking oh, it was a quarter end thing and it was kind of a melt up. And I was actually expecting a lot more reaction today and it was very muted. Yeah. So they'd held in pretty well. For more on OPEC plus the surprise cut, let's bring in Paul Sankey of Sankey Research. He was ranked by Institutional Investor as number one for independent energy research in 2023. 
Paul, great to have you with us. Hi. Um, way back when, uh, I think it was at the end of last year, you predicted oil to 120 sometime this year, I believe it was. Do you stick by that? Yeah. I mean, is that even more likely? Does it go even higher? No, that call went wrong, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, that was because we anticipated more winter in Europe and we anticipated a lot less oil from Russia. So I think we're, we're looking towards more of 100 now. As our, It was a driving season call. So the idea was that by Memorial Day, we would get to 120. That's far too high, I think, now based on the economic weakness that you guys have been uh, highlighting with the ISM number today. Um, so I think 100, Saudi, the key thing here is Saudi wants higher prices, and they've basically said 95 is, is what they aspire to. They haven't specifically said that, but that's what we're kind of led to understand. So I think that would be the, the next target, definitely. 95 seems like a, a long ways to go from here if we are to believe that, you know, th there is a push lower by economic slowdown. I mean, yeah. it's, it almost seems like more cuts are, are, are on the table and, and likely to come if 95 is the price that they actually want. Yeah, but the, I mean, you have the natural rise in demand here because of seasonality. So you go into driving season in the U.S. You also have a lot of refineries to come back online. They're going to suck up more crude. So the crude market will be tightening naturally seasonally. And then you've got to remember that the global demand drivers are less economically impacted by the U.S. nowadays. That's, that's really part of the multipolarity world that we're living in. And so China, for example, is coming off a structural COVID low, uh, more air travel. That's not going to be too economically sensitive. India's doing great. I was actually looking at Brazil demand numbers, and they're strong. And what's interesting, particularly in the case of India and, and Brazil, for example, is both of them are having all-time record oil prices in local currencies. So the demand strength globally seems like it's still there, and that'll be what drives us higher. Hey, Paul, uh, congrats on the award. You know, I guess the other thing I, I just ask is, does today's announcement do anything to how we should be investing in oil companies? Uh, is this going to change their attitude, their behavior? Um, what does this headline mean to investing in the energy sector that's rallied back? Um, but still, you know, people are questioning where demand is. Yeah, I mean, the first principle is demand. Uh, but at the same time, we had talked about two puts, uh, again, somewhat wrongly. The first put was the Saudi put, and, and that's them essentially here managing to keep a secret, actually, OPEC. They stunned the, uh, the journalists whose job it is to find out about these things. I'm amazed. You never normally get an OPEC deal like this that's such a total secret. But obviously, the Saudi put. But the second put was the, uh, the Biden administration's theoretical put that they would start rebuilding, as you referenced. Uh, the SBR once we got down to 70, and they simply didn't. And that, of course, adds to, to the kind of negative perception. But now that the Saudi puts kicked in, uh, I think that you do have a better valuation support for the names, which, as you say, have, have got very cheap. We thought that when oil was last at 85, they were discounting about 85. But then you had the, the airdrop in oil as a result of the banking crisis. And I think with very low speculative interest, uh, essentially high short interest in oil, very few longs, the Saudis decided to step in and, and squeeze the market back to where they want it. And it's very much for their own reasons. You know, it's for domestic spending reasons that they want this higher price. So, Paul, in this environment, where are you better off being? The legacy integrated names, refiners, the uh, levered names or names within the OIH? How would you sort of layer into that group? This is a tough headline for refiners, right? Because you're squeezing the, the, the crude market higher, which obviously squeezes their margins. And the refiners have uh, been 
significant outperformers in the energy space. So we would say it's relatively negative refiners here. The one that people want to buy, quite rightly, is service companies. That's the most juice, uh, particularly international service, names like Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, but also some of the domestic service names. Because you've got to remember that uh, whilst typically an OPEC cut is seen as bearish because it uh, increases spare capacity, global oil production capacity really has a problem. And we really only have growth in Guyana outside of OPEC+. Plus and almost nothing else to speak of. So structurally, the market to me looks like it'll be a $100 market in the future simply by lack of supply growth. Uh, and then amongst the names, obviously, you buy the juiciest DMPs. You mentioned Oxy. Uh, and then as you go down the uh, the capital structure, the smaller names obviously will do better. So it looks good for US EMP companies. We always ask you about a pairs trade, Paul. And so I'm curious what you would put on, what you'd be looking at now uh, given, you know, we sort of have like this floor under oil prices a little bit, you know, and, and we've got a NASDAQ that's been up 11% over the past month or so. I mean, anything new yeah, to tell well, us? I mean, I, these, are, these are always notional, right? So I think we'll shorten Nvidia and we could go long Oxy, let's say Oxy, uh, short Nvidia, long Oxy. All right. It's a good one. Yeah. All right, Paul. Always good to see you. Thanks. Pleasure. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you, your research. Guy's laughing. <laughs> what, do you not like that trade? No, I, lo- I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, you know what I think of Paul. First of all, it's better to be number one than number two, and he's number one. <laughs> Second of all, I mean, he's done this like three times, and he's been spot on every time. So don't fade Paul Sankey. I'm with him 100%. <laughs> um, Jeff? Yeah, I'm with him, too, in in the sense that you mentioned the NASDAQ earlier. You've had some of these names that have had huge runs. We talked about semis a couple of weeks ago. NVIDIA is one of those names. So I wouldn't be surprised for some air to come out of that balloon. And like I said, I do like the energy space here. I think between some of the positioning, Paul mentioned positioning. If you look at the way CTA, so basically oil speculators are positioned, um, they were pretty short coming into this. So I think you could actually see an exacerbated move higher because of that positioning. And as Tim said, you know, you probably get little response from U.S. shale. So I think you have support there. um, And the valuations, I think, are attractive. So you let a little bit of air come out of the moves you see in the NASDAQ. I think you see a rotation into some of these names over the next couple of weeks. I like it. I'm a Sankey Paris Trades <laughs> disciple as well, and I was early on that, that NVIDIA <laughs> short uh, around 235, and got I, you know I should have waited for Paul. I knew had I known he was coming on the show, I, um, <laughs> but I, I I I do think that we have a backdrop where special oil services. Um, you can see the investments. You can see what was already starting to happen. The outperformance of OIH, even in the difficult tape we had, um, is is our tech multiples too high here? Yes, they are. Um, but until they stop outperforming the market, um, they're going to go higher. You're still- with your cues short. Uh, I am. I, I do love Paul's trade. It's, I mean, he comes on and he always has these sort of, um, you know, buy disappointment and short excitement. Yeah, and, that's a good way of looking at it. And they converge yeah. often. Interesting. Contrarian. Coming up, Tesla's electric slide. The EV maker dropping after reporting production delivery numbers. So what had investors unplugging from this one? The details ahead. Plus, a retail revival shares of Macy's ripping higher as analysts get bullish. What they see ahead for the stock when fast money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla tapping the brakes today, falling 6% as delivery numbers came in at the lower end of estimates, but still at record levels. The relative softness prompting analysts to predict more price cuts and a squeeze on profit margins. Despite today's pullback, shares still up nearly 60% so far this year. It feels like it's not a surprise that there will be a squeeze on profit margins, and that's exactly what people thought when they announced the price cuts to begin with, Guy. So is this just about, you know, selling something that had, had gained? Listen, to Tesla's credit, I mean, a couple months, maybe it's four or five months ago now, they said that their margins, which were north of, I think, 22 percent, would get more in line with the legacy automakers, which I think are probably around 16 percent. So you figure they, they probably have told you they're going to come in around 18, 18 and a half percent. So I think the street should have expected that. But how do you trade the stock is really what it comes down to. March 13th, it got down to that 165 level. We bounced. We were not able to take out those recent highs for about 217. I happen to think you're in no man's land now until they report earnings in a few weeks. So I guess if it gets towards that lower end of the range, you buy it again. But right here at 195, I, I think you're flipping a coin in terms of trading the stock into earnings. Jeff, what do you think? It's, it's always amazing to me how the news aligns with the technicals. And I, I've been looking at this 155 to 205 range, and now it's fading right at the top of that range. And when I look at the stock this year, I mean, the stock has doubled, but so is the PE multiple. It's gone from 22 times to 44 times. So then the question is, well, what precisely is, is the right multiple? And um, you know, obviously, I don't know. But I think a lot of this year with a stock like Tesla has been this flight to all things growth, not just quality growth and falling interest rates. So I think when you still have a backdrop of, yes, good record deliveries, um, that's a check in the positive column for sure. But there's still questions about demand, I think, especially in China, given the reopening boost that maybe inflated some orders there, just the overall macro environment. I don't think the 44 times multiple holds up. So I agree with Guy. Maybe you trade it, but you wait till it gets back to the lower end of that range. I agree with the guys. I mean, I've always found it expensive. It just seems to me that this P.E. multiple, 45, whatever it is, is not priced for inline. Inline doesn't get it done or even slightly less than inline really doesn't get it done. So to me, it's that simple. Yeah, well, it's priced for mass market already on some level on on Model 3 and and on the Y. I mean, these are this is where it's supposed to be going. Also, you know, price cuts, I think, tend to hurt Tesla more than they hurt even the other, you know, those folks in EV land chasing them. So uh, always, you know, to me is about valuation now. For me, at another time, it was a balance sheet question. It was even a transparency and a compliance and a governance question. To me, it's just there's no way to pay. It's a car company. It's a car company. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The detail in retail. Analysts seeing big things in store for Macy's. So is this name worth a check out? Plus, time to get real. Why our next guest says investors should brace for a reality check. The setup ahead of earnings season next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Money shares of Macy's topping the tape, ending the day up nearly 7.5%. This comes after J.P. Morgan upgraded the stock to overweight, setting a favorable risk-reward setup and a clear confidence in the company's fiscal year top and bottom line plan. Analysts also bumping their price target up a buck to $29 a share. 
They had set out a plan to revamp the business a few years ago, Karen. Mm-hmm. I guess it's working, according to this analyst. It is working. I mean, it's, it's, they talk about a number of drivers. Um, they've had a lot of store closers at closings, I think 10% of their store base. Um, they've had some new initiatives. They've had, um, we saw that they were sort of tough on pricing with some of the wholesalers. We saw that. Um, they have uh, some off-mall stores now. And then they also have um, Macy's Media. Uh, network. And so they have some advertising revenue. So normally I don't like a call that expects or hopes for a multiple increase. But this multiple is so, so ridiculously low. <laughs> right. You absolutely don't need it. One other thing, they've done a fantastic job of really shoring up their balance sheet. It's in very good shape. CFO did a great job of refinancing early last year. I mean, they've really done a good job. So this is not a crazy call at all. Uh, 11 bucks upside from here is not crazy. And it doesn't get you. You don't need froth to get there. No, it, it, it's a you know, two times 2024 EBITDA. I mean, it's, it's crazy wow. cheap. And, and you know, outgoing CEO Jeff Jeanette has done a fantastic job during a very difficult time. And a lot of this was, you know, remember we talked about how COVID forced this existential look in the mirror on all these folks and, and fast forwarded a restructuring process. It also gave a lot of retail, really more in malls, but uh, Macy's in some sense is a chance to restructure a lot of bad leases. Um, but if you think about the real strengths and the road to success for Macy's, it's been around operational efficiency. That's one of the big notes in, in J.P. Morgan's note. And then the other dynamic is really utilizing digital and technology um, on merchandising. And I guess that's also operational efficiency. It's valuation. Uh, they've significantly underperformed Nordstrom's this year. So I think you stay in this, if nothing else, as a pair straight. Yeah, that gets me to this question. That is, if Macy's is winning guy, who's losing? <laughs> That's a good, I mean, Kohl's is clearly not, I don't know really, because some of these stocks are just trades. I wouldn't say that Macy's is winning. I think Macy's, the stock is tradable from the long side. I guess if that means winning, then good for them. But I think it is just a valuation thing, as Tim and Karen pointed out. You put an eight multiple on this, and you probably get pretty close, if not north of that $29 level. So it was a $24 stock, I think, in January, traded down to 17 by the way, not that it matters, I guess, but where's the stock trading? 18 and a half ish. I mean, that's the same price as it was in April of 1997. Obviously, it's moved significantly since then, but it's gotten you nowhere over the course of the last 25 years. You trade the stock, and right here, I think you trade it from the long side. Jeff, have you ever been in Macy's? Would you look at this? Not in a Macy's. Oh, because I, I in I mean. Macy's. <laughs> That's I've been in a Macy's, but it was probably, you know, 20 years ago. I can't remember the last <laughs> time. And that's sort of the point here with me. And we've talked about this a number of times. Where do you want to be in this market? And it's kind of low-end dollar store or higher-end Lulu, Nike, et cetera. We've seen some of the big moves in Lulu. We talked about not chasing it. I still like the lower-end dollar stores. Um, but, yeah, Macy's kind of falls somewhere in the middle for me. And I get it. Look, it's trading at five times. When you're citing risk-reward, it's kind of a low-risk call here to say, look, the stock could move somewhat higher. And it's a little bit boring and kind of broken record-ish. But I think when you have tightening credit conditions that are going to continue to tighten, I think it's going to put stress on the labor market. So I just think the near-term macro picture puts this story at risk. And I do think technically there is a little bit of wood to chop to get to 29. I'd look to 20 as that next level of resistance. If it moves above it, then maybe reevaluate. But those are the levels I'd be watching. Coming up, is it time for investors to come to their senses? While your next guest says there's a reality check ahead of earnings season. Evercore's Julian Emanuel will join us next to lay out what to expect. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Wall Street shaking off OPEC Plus's surprise cut. The Dow rallying 327 points its seventh positive day in eight. The S&P also closing higher. The Nasdaq lower, though, breaking a three-day win streak. Take a look at Lowe's. B of A adding the home improvement stock to its best investment ideas list. The hardware retailer up more than 2% today. On the downside, banks. The KRE falling over a percent. Metropolitan Bank, uh, New York Community Bank, and Synovus Financial leading the way lower. And check out shares of AMC. AMC, it's always moving. It's in the moving in the after hours, actually. Huh. 23% lower, in fact. The theater chain operator settling a shareholder lawsuit by agreeing to pay the plaintiff in common stock, which is not worth <laughs> I mean, that, is that really a win at this point? <laughs> anyway, um, back to KRE. Tim, you're just remarking about the chart. Death. And, and it doesn't give you any sense that, that we've worked through through any of this. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, until we do, um, you know, you're going to have this thing. The, the market is betting that the Fed will pivot uh, and that there will be no recession. Today's ISM and manufacturing uh, told you very clearly um, We've known manufacturing's been in recession for a long time, but it tells you other leading indicators are, are really pushing that direction. So, yeah, I, 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 I hate this chart. Um, it's, it's concerning. We're going to get bank earnings. They're not going to be able to tell us a lot of this because some of this is structural. Some of this is dynamic that we don't even know. You know, again, unrealized losses are things that um, we won't realize until they have to realize them. We have that. We have tighter credit, less lending yes. from the regionals. We've got uh, potential regulation coming down the pike. We've got an economy that's slowing down. Right. Those, um, the, the, those, the re- potential regulation, yeah. because if the FDIC has to step in like they've had to so far, they're going to extract a pound of something or other. Mm-hmm. Also, I do think that all the shoes haven't dropped yet, right? We still don't right. know the outcome of some of them. So I think that could be another sort of, you know, ripple effect and then, and then tighter credit. And then uh, some of them have lost deposits, even if they, even if they survive and they're fine. Some of it's they're not just, going back. Right. Some of it's not going back, and they're just smaller. Right. Yeah. Uh, a lot to not like. Jeff, are you tempted? Have you been tempted? I mean, I've been away from a week, for a week, so I'm not really sure what you guys have been up to while well, I've been gone. <laughs> Other than him shopping uh, at Macy's. <laughs> you, been yeah, you definitely were not at a Macy's while I was gone. <laughs> were you looking at any of the regionals? Uh, no, not really. And we've talked about the banks for a long time, and it's just generally not a place I've wanted to be over the past number of quarters. And obviously, I didn't forecast what happened. But at the same time, I think when you're in an environment where interest rates have risen as fast as they have, to Tim's point, when the ISM, which I talk about all the time, is trending lower, I just think being exposed to banks and cyclicals in general um, is not a great place to look for outperformance. Uh, The one thing that I'll I'll just point out very quickly, because I thought it was interesting, and it it does speak to some of the market leadership and where you want to be, but I was reading a piece from Chris Verone this morning, and he talked about the different market leadership uh, today than what we saw back in February when we were pushing back toward that 4,200. He mentioned discretionaries versus staples, transports versus utilities, small versus large. You know, all of those relationships were very risk on in February. Today, it's actually the exact opposite. So I think maybe you're starting to see the leadership foreshadow some of these economic issues we're talking about, even as the broad index pushes higher. I just think it's worth noting. Our next guest is bracing for more trouble for the banks this quarter. Julian Emanuel is Evercore ISI's Senior Managing Director. Julian, great to have you with us. Um, you, you heard the conversation we've been having, and you also agree. So, so how does that sort of manifest? It, can it stay isolated within the sector of, of the regional banks, or how does that sort of spread into the rest of the market? Look, likely it doesn't. I, and Tim made the point of today's ISM. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Hyman has been calling for a recession in the second half. 
for a number of months now. There are a variety of reasons, obviously. Look, if you think about it, right, a year's worth of tightening, and we got this crisis that started in March. And frankly, if you think about all that tightening, to us, it's likely only the beginning of the, the effects of the tightening rather than the end of it. And so we do think uh, there's probably more to come. And in that respect, if you're going to have a recession, even if it's mild, as we expect, uh, we do think stocks will bear the brunt of it. Uh, and frankly, the way we're, we're thinking now, uh, there's been a lot of run up in the Nasdaq. And we think that top line is going to be something that coming into earnings season might be called into question in a softening environment. So you're pairing that in terms of fading the, the strength and momentum in, in the Nasdaq with a word that you've made up, which I don't know if it's going to catch mm -hmm. on because it's, it's really not that. Catchy. We'll do our best. We'll do our best. <laughs> Belmentum. <laughs> Um, which is small caps and, and value momentum? What is this? So, so it, it's both large and small cap. Okay. Uh, today we added to our, our uh, offerings in terms of thinking about the small caps, which actually uh, have a larger than normal weighting towards the more defensive sectors, including healthcare and energy, which we think makes a lot of sense right here. Um, but basically what it does is it gives you the put option protection through high free cash flow if the Fed's going to keep going, and it looks like we're going to get one at least in May, if the economy turns down as we expect, or importantly, if there's a credit crunch, you're protected with free cash flow. And then the call optionality part of it is in an environment where earnings estimates have been coming in across the broad spectrum of stocks, these stocks are still having upward revisions. That's a good thing. So, uh, by the way, get Valmentum sweatshirts and hoodies printed up, and I will wear them, bumper <laughs> stickers, Valmentum for sure. Twitter. Got to do but, it. But, uh, and I hear you on relatively cheap companies that have free cash flow for sure, all day long right now. But when I hear value, you know, value and momentum in the same way, value stocks can never be momentum. In other words, value stocks are, you know, it's momentum stocks are momentum. High multiple stocks are momentum. Value stocks almost by nature can never have the momentum. Well, well it, it, except for if you look at last year, you had that period where energy constantly had momentum. Energy. And then if you think about what happened, right, we marked all our expectations down. Frankly, we haven't had a client call to talk about energy in well over two months. And then lo and behold, the oil price started trading better in the last several weeks. And we have today's bolt out of the blue to us. We think you don't fade today's strength in, in energy stocks. We think you add to the positions. All right. Well, I appreciate the, the effort with Valmentum, <laughs> Julian. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Good sure. to see you as always. Julian Emanuel of Evercore, ISI. Guy, what do you think of his picks? Uh, it's interesting. Valmentum. Well, I love energy, as you know, and I like what he's saying. And he's, you know, he's, this was Julian that came on a month or so ago and said, listen, we have not felt the lag effect. And one of the reasons it's taken so long is because all the money that was sloshing around in the first place, but that's starting to come to fruition. And he obviously mentioned that tech might be a little vulnerable here. I agree. I mean, technology, if you think about it, is one of the most capital-intensive areas and the most cyclical areas, and both things seem to be trending the wrong way. And before we get out of here, I got – did you say the plaintiff in this AMC thing got AMC stock? Stock, I mean, which is, is down 23 percent after hours. It's like a – I like mean, a, clearly cl – Unless it was – Yeah, I mean, clearly – Well, is Clarence, it down because they're not allowed to go through with the plan? 
That I'm not I, sure. Uh, okay. But if you get the stock, well, regardless. Be careful what you wish for, I guess. Exactly. Um, exactly. But, well, um, yeah, I got a that new right. defense lawyer. No, I was, it's crazy. I mean, Clarence Darrow wasn't representing those cats, clearly, Melms. Oh, they're settling. Settling. So there wasn't a verdict. Okay. All right, coming up, we'll check up on United Health. Shares are feeling good today. Can the rally last? We'll hit the options pits for that trade next. And do not miss Last Call tonight with Brian Sullivan, the fired Starbucks worker who ignited a union movement at the coffee giant, speaks out for the first time. That's right here on CNBC, 7 p.m. Meantime, much more Fast Money right after this break. Do not miss CNBC's Equity and Opportunity event tomorrow. We'll be digging into more ways to bridge the wealth gap and create a more sound economic future for all. Register for the virtual event at CNBCEvents.com or scan the QR code on your screen. Meantime, United Health Share is moving uh, more than 4.5% higher today for its highest close since mid-February. The move coming amid reports that millions of people could lose Medicaid coverage as pandemic-related protections are rolled back. Options traders betting there could be more upside for the stock. Mike Coast got the action. Mike. Yeah, so UNH, we saw over three times the average daily call value trading in this one. Uh, one of the bigger trades that I saw was a purchase of the April 515 calls, a block of 600 of those trading for just under $2.70 a contract. Buyer of those calls betting that the pop that we saw today could continue. We're going to see another 4.5% or so upside by April expiration. And by the way, I should point out that April expiration also will capture earnings, which they are going to be reporting on the 14th. Uh, Tim, you're watching this move? Well, I, I'm long UNH, and this is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, this, this company has a management team that at least has got the market believing they're going to grow EPS 13 to 15% over the next five years. They're so well positioned and diversified across the healthcare space and have exposure to some of the faster growing parts, PBM. It explains why they continue to defy their own valuation. So um, you're, you're buying weakness, in my view, on anything here, if you get it. Wasn't this one of the charts, Mike? I'm sure you remember Carter Braxtonworth. Didn't he call this chart godlike or some something like that? I mean, it was just like one of these terms that you rarely hear Carter use. Other than talking he, about Mike, he, yeah, well, <laughs> he did. He did say that, and you know, and interestingly, to Tim's point, this is a company that is typically traded at a premium to the S and P. Right now, mm -hmm. it is trading at about the same turn. This is also a name that we hold, uh, actually, just under seven percent of the portfolio in UNH. Uh, it's definitely a name that I like as well. You don't usually get it at this type of a turn relative to the S&P. All right, Mike, thanks. For more Options Action, tune into the full show. That is next Friday, because we're off this Friday. Next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, our supersized job cuts ahead. The Golden Arches making an unusual move as it preps for layoffs. We'll bring you the details in the McDonald's trade, trade next. Stick around. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on J.P. Morgan and what execs know about Jeffrey Epstein. Eamon Javers has got the details. Eamon. Melissa, that's right. The U.S. Virgin Islands has now filed new allegations in its ongoing lawsuit against J.P. Morgan over that bank's relationship with uh, disgraced and now deceased sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, in this new document that was filed just a short time ago uh, in the ongoing court case, uh, there are large new allegations, uh, chunks of allegations that are redacted. So we don't know exactly what a lot of this new information is in this case. Uh, it does seem clear that a lot of it is coming from Mary Erdos, who is the head of uh, the Wealth Management Division at J.P. Morgan, who gave a deposition in this case recently 
Finally, they cite her by name several times in the course of this document and the new information. But huge chunks of this, Melissa, are redacted, just blacked out. So you can't see at all what the allegations are. However, a couple of new details that are visible here. Uh, they are saying in this case that uh, Jeffrey Epstein's conduct was, was well known inside J.P. Morgan at the time that J.P. Morgan had uh, its banking relationship with Epstein. They say his behavior was so widely known at J.P. Morgan that senior executives joked about Epstein's interest in young girls. Uh, another uh, detail here that appears to me to be new, at least new to me, uh, is Epstein's relationship with Ghislaine Maxwell and the banking relationship that those two shared, the financial relationship that those two shared. Epstein transferred more than $23 million to Ghislaine Maxwell between 1999 and 2002. So you get a sense of the volume of dollars that were being moved in and out of Epstein's accounts here. So there will be a legal fight now over these redactions and how much of this new information can be can become public. But as of right now, it is all under seal, Melissa. Back over to you. All right, Eamon, thank you, Eamon Javers. Um, meantime, shares of McDonald's closing at a new all-time high today, even as the company prepares to lay off workers. The fast food chain temporarily closing corporate offices in the U.S. with plans to inform affected employees virtually. Kate Rogers joins with the details. Kate. Melissa, that's right. McDonald's set to inform corporate workers of layoffs coming early this week. That's according to an internal memo to U.S. employees that was viewed by CNBC. The memo says it's temporarily closing, as you mentioned, its offices in the U.S. through April 5th so it can deliver these decisions virtually to workers. A person familiar said the layoffs would be in the hundreds. The news was first reported, reported rather, by the Wall Street Journal. The email states, quote, we want to ensure the comfort and confidentiality of our people during the notification period. Now, back in January, January, CNBC had reported job cuts were coming at the Golden Arches as the company sought to refocus and accelerate its restaurant expansion. CEO Chris Kimchinski told employees that this was designed to innovate more quickly and efficiently. He also added at the time that certain initiatives would be halted and deprioritized, noting the organization was siloed and called that approach outdated. He also said the pace of restaurant openings needed to be accelerated to help capture the uptick in demand that McDonald's has seen over the last few years, including during the pandemic. Now, that's echoed in the more recent email from HR executives at McDonald's, underscoring the need to, quote, shift from legacy mindsets to new behaviors. And as you mentioned, investors liking that news, the stock uh, trading and closing at a new all-time high today. Back over to you. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rogers. Uh, Jeff Mills, do you like McDonald's here? Yeah, we talked about restaurants about a week ago, and I said I generally didn't like restaurants. They tend to be a lagging economic indicator that moves with the labor market. I think weakness there is ahead of us, but McDonald's is different. It's definitely on the expensive side, but just look at the chart. You know, it tested the 200-day. It's working on breaking out to a new high. So I think you know, their particular business is well-positioned for where we are in the economic cycle. Yeah. Guy? We've loved it for a while. Tim talked about Tim did a shoot from McDonald's five yes, years ago. Talking about how it's yeah. now a technology yeah. company, and that's right. And Look, valuation has been a concern for, since we started doing fast money, but it hasn't stopped the stock. We've loved it. I love it. As you know, I ordered 23 cheeseburgers from one of their establishments years ago, uh, and there's, <laughs> there's clearly room for growth on the back go? of that. So, yes, stay with yeah. Well, it was <laughs> great, great going down, Melms. Back to you. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it at that. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade, Guy Adami. Welcome back, Sergeant Holka. Uh, Lockheed Martin breaking out, LMT. Jeff Mills. 
EOG Resources, my final trade on Friday. It's my final trade today. I like that close above 120. I think there's more to go. Tim Seymour. 100 bucks if you can name the movie guy was referencing, though. 100 bucks. Stripes. Yeah! I think there was cheating going on there. There's no cheating with United Healthcare. They are growing in the highest growth segments in pharma. Okay. Karen. Welcome back. We like the babysitters, but you know, you're our girl. Mine, <laughs> triple Q's, short. It's just a trade. Feel like it's gone too far too fast. Great to be back. And thank you all for watching Fast Money tonight. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.